Turn in your Bibles, if you would, back to Matthew chapter 5 this morning to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, and find uh, verse 31. While you're turning there, for those of you who are visiting, I always feel like it's necessary for us to reset the series so that those that are visiting can understand what we're doing. This set that you see behind us, by the way, uh, the title of this sermon series comes from the hit Netflix show, Stranger Things. Uh, The show is fictional, of course. It imagines a world in which there is uh, a world that is opposite from our own. It's called the upside down, in which everything is upside down from this world. It's a frightening place, the upside down. It's characterized by death and demonic forces. As I said, the show's fictional, but in some ways it's not that far off from what the Bible says about this world. The Bible says that there is indeed an upside down world, but unlike the show... The Bible says that it's this world, the world in which we live today, that is upside down. Sin is twisted and deformed and turned upside down, the world that God created for humanity. One day in the future, when Christ returns again, he's going to turn this world right side up again. But until that day, Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, and by the way, this is the overarching message of the sermon, of his sermon, that it is possible to live right side up in an upside down world by becoming a disciple of Jesus. That's the overarching message. And then the body of the sermon is Jesus' description of what it would look like to live right side up in an upside down world. Now, he began talking, we saw this a couple of weeks ago, he began began talking in the body of the sermon about the significant role that anger and contempt and murder play in in an upside down world. Is that, by the way, is that the idea that there's a lot of anger, contempt, and violence, even murder in our world today? Think about just what happened this past week in Thousand Oaks, California, where 12 people were gunned down in a bar. Jesus moves from that subject then to the role that contempt plays in the way that women are degraded sexually in our culture. And he called out, we saw this last week, he calls out the culture of misogyny that characterizes this upside-down world in which we live. And then he moves from that to the subject at hand today, which is divorce. So let's just add this up. He's talked about sex, violence, and divorce. Wow. Seems amazingly on point as it pertains to life in the 21st century for words that were spoken over 2,000 years ago. So let's read from... Matthew chapter 5, and let's start at verse 31. Jesus says, It has been said, Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone, anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, before we do a deep, deep dive here on what Jesus is saying about divorce, I want to mention a few preliminary things that I think are critically important for us to keep in mind as we try to understand what Jesus is and isn't saying here. First, I think it's important to point out that it is impossible theologically to speak about anything related to marriage without first quoting these important words uttered by the impressive clergyman in the movie, Princess Bride. Marriage he said, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream, and love, true love, will follow you forever. So treasure 
your walk. Uh, how many of you are familiar with The Princess Bride? Raise your hand. Okay. I think we can all agree that those are extremely important words that we need to keep in mind today as we think about marriage and divorce. Would you agree? I need a laugh track back here. Uh, anyway. Seriously, though, uh, I do want to say this, that this passage and the whole topic of divorce is a lot more complex than many people think it is. And this particular passage has often been used wrongly to create unnecessary shame and guilt for people who have found themselves victims of a divorce that they never wanted and yet still made in many churches to feel like second-class citizens anyway. I would also add that this particular passage, misused and misinterpreted and then misapplied, has also led many people to stay in marriages that were nothing like marriage in the way that God intended marriage. And yet they stayed in them because they thought that this passage made them stay. In order to give this particular topic the time that it deserves, I'm going to talk about this passage some today, and then I'm going to carry it over to next week, which makes this kind of a little mini-series within a series, uh, because, as, because I'm going to do some of it today and some of it next week. But I think it's important just to start that you see these words that Jesus is going to say about divorce. It's so important that you see these in the larger context of contempt. Because that's what Jesus has been talking about. He, he started talking about contempt, and then he moved to the contempt for women that results in sexual degradation. He said lust, that's a, that's, that's a form of adultery. It's sexual degradation of women, and it comes out of contempt for women. And then now he moves into how contempt for women results in the degradation, not only of women sexually, but also in the degradation of marriage. And so, in fact, this isn't so much a new topic as it, is, as it is an extension on what Jesus taught before. So he, he begins to expand on that topic, and he looks at how contempt for women degrades marriage, as well as how it degrades women through marriage. Okay, now that's, with that understanding of the larger context, first, I want to do this. I want to look at what this passage says about the misogynistic justification for divorce. The misogynistic justification for divorce. Misogyny is essentially male contempt for women, treating them as subhuman, treating them as inferior. Let's talk about the misogynistic justification of divorce. Jesus says in verse 31, It has been said that anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Okay, as we've seen in previous weeks, when Jesus uses this phrase, it has been said, What he's doing is that he's zeroing in on the way that the religious leaders in Israel had distorted God's law to justify their evil hearts. In this case, the specific distortion was that they taught that as long as a man gave his ex-wife a certificate of divorce, he had fulfilled the law. Didn't matter why he was divorcing her. I mean, she burned his toast one morning. He just got tired of her. There's a reception at work that's younger and prettier. All of that's fine. And it also didn't matter how he treated her on the way out. Throw her clothes out on the front lawn. Uh, Shove her out the door with nothing and leave her in poverty. That's all fine. Just make sure 
the teachers of the law said, that you hand her a certificate of divorce before you shove her out the door. And as long as you do that, they said, you've done right by her and by God. Congratulations, woman. Here's your certificate of divorce. You can hang it on a wall. We're done. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? Because you see, to a man with contempt for women, the primary thing on his mind is, how do I get rid of a woman I'm married to that I don't want anymore? Not, not how do I learn to love this woman to whom I have pledged my lifelong faithfulness? Not how do I take stock of my own issues that are undermining this marriage? Those are the thoughts and the concerns of a man who's living right side up. Man living right side up isn't looking for a way out of the marriage. He's looking for a way to grow in his love for this precious and valuable person that God has given him as a partner throughout the rest of his life. Author and pastor Tim Keller once wrote this. He said, in marriage vows, we do not merely express present love. We promise future love. We promise not to always feel loving, but rather to be loving, faithful, tender, and compassionate no matter how we feel at the time. And you see, that's how a right-side-up man and a right-side-up husband looks at marriage. That's how he thinks about his wife. But for the upside-down misogynist, well, he's just looking for a way out. And so the religious leaders provide him one. Give her a certificate of divorce. Which, by the way, somebody's calling. Who can we... Which, by the way, a certificate of divorce was just a written statement by the ex-husband that said that a woman was divorced. That's all it was. And it was a way that she could defend herself against accusations of adultery if she were found to be with another man. Somebody else is calling. Hello. So the certificate of divorce is just this, it's a piece of paper, essentially. And it says, it says this woman is free to remarry. Uh, she's, uh, she's single. And so she isn't able to be held um, in accusation of adultery. And if another man wants to marry her, she could show that certificate and prove that she was free to marry. How compassionate, right? How kind. How merciful to women in a culture in which a woman had no other way to sustain herself financially than through her husband's income. Just give them a certificate of divorce. And so this certificate of divorce then was their misogynistic justification for divorce. It was the escape clause that allowed men to dump their wives for any reason they wanted and still to be able to claim that they were good, righteous men. I gave her a certificate of divorce. But the question is, what does Jesus think about this? And to answer that, I'm going to ask you to keep your finger here at Matthew 5, and I'm going to ask you to flip over to another passage, because what I want you to see is Jesus' indictment on this misogynistic justification for divorce. I want you to see the indictment on this misogynistic justification for divorce. So if you flip over to Matthew chapter 19, if you would, and verse 3, keep your finger at Matthew 5, flip over to Matthew chapter 19 and verse 3. And this passage in Matthew 19 provides the backstory for Jesus' comments in Matthew 5. Because in this passage, uh, a real-life showdown occurs between Jesus and the very religious leaders who taught this misogynistic 
justification for divorce. You may remember back when Jesus said in Matthew 5, it's been said that anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. It's these are the dudes that are going to talk to Jesus. These are the dudes who are saying. So start reading at verse 3. Some Pharisees, those are the dudes, some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And I want you to pay very close attention to these words. For any and every reason. Those are important words. I want you to get those. Is it lawful to divorce your wife for any and every reason? In other words, she snores. She's gained weight since the baby and she hasn't lost it yet. She's a Packers fan. She can't cook like my mom cooks. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, it's absurd, isn't it? As absurd as it sounds, though, It doesn't come out of nowhere because what's happening is these guys are bringing Jesus into a hotly contested debate among two schools of religious leaders in Israel regarding divorce. I don't have time to go into all of the background this morning, but the debate was over a passage of law, a passage in the law in Deuteronomy chapter 24 from which religious leaders derived their ideas about what made divorce legitimate and justified. The debate was really over a single word in that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 24, and it was the word indecent. The passage was kind of a legal case study in which a guy found something, and the Bible says he he found something indecent about his wife, and he subsequently gave her a certificate of divorce. Now, one school of religious leaders seized on the word indecent, and they taught that men had wide discretion as it was related to what they considered indecent. In other words, men could divorce their wives for any and every reason that they thought she was indecent. Does that sound familiar? Any and every reason? Yeah, that's the, that's the very question that these religious leaders are asking Jesus. Can we get divorced for any and every reason, like Deuteronomy 24 says, in their opinion? Now, the other school of thought held to a very conservative definition of the word indecent. They believed that the word indecent only referred to sexual immorality, that the man in that case study gave his his ex-wife a certificate of divorce because she had been sexually unfaithful to him. That was one school of thought. One school of thought, get rid of her for anything you think is indecent. She burned your toes. The other school of thought, indecent only means sexual immorality. These guys are trying to bring Jesus into this controversial debate. But Jesus doesn't answer their question directly because he understands. He knows their motives. So look at verse 4. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, there's your answer, really. God created marriage to be the deepest form of intimacy that a man and a woman can ever experience. And as such, it was intended to last for a lifetime, so no one should do anything to jeopardize it. Because divorce, you see, it's a distortion of the good gift that God gave humanity in marriage. And because of the deep intimacy that's involved, God hates the pain that divorce brings into people's lives. Not only the Not only the couple who get divorced as they rip apart the deeply intertwined intimacy that they have had 
with one another, but also for all of the people who are relationally connected to the couple. God hates all of that pain that these people go through. So Jesus says, in effect, no, it is not lawful to divorce your wives for any and every reason. That's upside-down misogyny. But that isn't the answer that these guys are looking for. So they press the issue a little further. Verse 7. Why then, they asked, did Moses command... (laughs) Note that word. Why did Moses... And by the way, when they say Moses, uh, that's just a way of summarizing the law because the law, God gave his law to Moses. And so they're saying, why did Moses command in the law that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away. Now, this is a perfect example of how they distorted the teaching of God's law. It's subtle, but notice this. The law that God gave to Israel through Moses never commanded anyone to go get divorced. It never said, thou must divorce your women and give them a certificate of divorce. Never said that. It's a subtle distortion, but it's a distortion nonetheless. And Jesus doesn't let them get away with it. Verse 8 Jesus replied, Moses permitted, big difference, he didn't command it, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, why? Because your hearts were hard, but it wasn't that way from the beginning. In other words, that's not how God designed it from the beginning. And there it is, there's the indictment. Jesus says, listen, you're not fooling me. This whole certificate of divorce rigmarole that you're using to justify getting rid of your wives, it's not about you trying to be good or loving toward them. You're, you're, just, you're not trying to do right by them. You just want an escape clause that justifies your cruel, mean, and contemptuous heart toward women. That's the indictment, you see, of their misogynistic justification of divorce. He says, you guys are just hard-hearted toward women, and specifically toward your wives. Now, listen, it's a scathing indictment on them for sure. But do you understand that it's not mean? Jesus loves these men as much as he loves anyone else. But for them to to respond to him, they've got to see the sin that's in their hearts, the contempt that is in their hearts. If any one of these men would have fallen to his knees and said, you're right, Jesus, my heart is full of contempt for women, forgive me, Jesus would have opened his arms to him and forgiven him. But that's not going to happen in this passage because a hard heart doesn't repent. A hard heart justifies itself. No doubt these religious leaders saw Jesus' words here as mean because self-righteous people view anyone who makes them look inside at the reality of their lives as mean. But Jesus wasn't being mean. He was being direct. He was being honest in his indictment on their hearts. But the purpose of that was to bring them to repentance. Now, I want to make sure that you see the nuance behind Jesus' words here, okay? He's saying that even though divorce was never God's plan for humanity, even though God hates the pain that divorce brings into people's lives, he's saying that God's law did indeed permit divorce. Why? Isn't that a contradiction? God doesn't like divorce, but he permits it? Well, no, it's not a contradiction because God is very realistic about life in this upside-down, broken, fallen world. He's not an ivory tower, pie-in-the-sky idealist. He knew that in a misogynistic, upside-down world, if men who were hard-hearted and contemptuous couldn't get rid of their wives, well, those very women could end up emotionally abused and neglected for the rest of their lives, if not 
brutally abused physically, or even dead. So better that he permitted divorce in such situations than for a woman to be brutalized physically or emotionally. And so let's make it very clear here. This is going to be very important for you to understand next week. Jesus is saying here that in cases in which a woman was the innocent victim of her husband's hard-heartedness, divorce was a legal necessity to mitigate the damage that such a man could do to her. The certificate of divorce wasn't a good and righteous way to treat your wife. It was a legal necessity, Jesus said, because of hard-hearted contempt for women. And as we're going to see next week, Jesus doesn't hold the victim, in this case the woman, he doesn't hold the victim responsible for the divorce. Even if she lived in our culture and she had to go file for divorce because her husband won't do it, Jesus doesn't hold her responsible for the divorce. She's the victim. It was his hard-heartedness that caused it. So, the misogynistic justification for, for divorce was just give her a certificate of divorce, then you're fine. The indictment on the misogynistic justification for divorce was that it was nothing more than hardness of heart. That whole certificate of divorce thing that you guys are trying to drag up, that is nothing but your hardness of heart. Now, next, what I want you to see is that Jesus moves into the effects of misogynistic divorce. And you're going to see that he talks about the effects of misogynistic divorce on the people who get divorced and on the larger culture around them. Look at verse 9, still in chapter 19. Look at verse 9. Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, if you flip back to our original passage in Matthew chapter 5 right now, so please do flip back to Matthew chapter 5, you will notice that Jesus says something very similar. It's been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone, and this is where it's very similar, he says anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, sounding familiar? makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is very complicated. So I'm going to ask you to just hang with me here. But I want you to notice that we're back to the subject of adultery again, which is what Jesus was speaking about in the preceding verses, in verses 27 through 30 in Matthew chapter 5. We saw it last week. And as I said earlier, this passage that we're looking at is an extension of his comments in verses 27 through 30. In those verses, Jesus was showing that these guys were so proud of themselves that they hadn't committed physical adultery. And yet their lust for women, Jesus said in those verses, was born out of contemptuous hearts for women. And it, that itself was a form of adultery that degraded and dehumanized women. Now, in these verses, Jesus is saying very much the same thing. He's still on the same topic. He's saying that these men who are so proud of themselves for not committing physical adultery, they also fail to see that their misogynistic justification for divorce is also born out of a contempt for women, and that indeed also is a form of adultery 
that ends up degrading him, it ends up degrading her, and it ends up degrading everyone else in their orbit. And here's what I mean, and this is where it gets complicated. Back in chapter 19, Jesus said that if a man, let's call him hard-hearted Harry. Jesus says that if hard-hearted Harry divorces his wife because he just doesn't want her anymore, she burned his toast. If he divorces her because of that, he's guilty of adultery. Why? Well, Jesus lands on the side of the debate that the word indecent in Deuteronomy 24 referred to a man who was divorcing his wife because of her sexual immorality. So he's saying when hard-hearted Harry divorces her because she's gained weight since the baby and hasn't lost it, he's saying that's not a legitimate reason for divorce. And so hard-hearted Harry's next marriage is in effect an act of adultery. So if he marries another woman, it's an act of adultery. Why? Because she's really still, in God's eyes, still technically married to him. Now here in chapter 5, Jesus says that the ex-wife is also the victim of adultery. Why? Well, because even though hard-hearted Harry didn't actually commit physical adultery while they were married, he did illegitimately divorce her. And for a woman in that culture, divorce, divorce ruined her life. She would have had no way to sustain herself financially except, one, she could become a prostitute, which itself is victimization at the hands of misogynistic, contemptuous men. Or she would have to marry another man. So in that sense, she's a victim of adultery. She didn't cause it. Jesus isn't blaming her. He's just saying she's a victim of adultery. But then Jesus also says in this passage in Matthew 5 that any other man who marries her also commits adultery because he's marrying a woman who is technically, in God's eyes, still married to hard-hearted Harry. Not that, the, not that this man who marries her is held accountable for adultery. It's not that he's guilty himself. It's that he, like everyone else, has gotten drawn into the chaos that misogynistic divorce creates. Are you confused? Because that's kind of the point. Jesus wants us to see the chaos that these self-righteous contemptuous men have created in their relational world. Even though they feel so proud of themselves that they haven't committed physical adultery, and even though they're so proud of themselves that they've given their ex-wives a certificate of divorce, he says they're still guilty of adultery, and they've caused all kinds of degradation around them. That's the chaos that misogynistic divorce causes. Now, I realize that the question that many of you are asking right now is this. What you're asking is, so is Jesus saying that sexual immorality is the only legitimate reason for divorce? And I'm going to answer that by saying, come back next week because I'm out of time today. And I'll go into that next week. And I promise you I will. I'm not trying to dodge it. I'll get there next week. But it's just a little more complicated than I have time for now. I want to close by saying this. That what we see described here, it isn't the world that God designed for us to live in. 
He designed the world to be a place where men and women could flourish, where they could be treated with dignity and honor and be loved and accepted. But sin distorted and twisted all of that. And we're left now with this chaotic, degraded, upside-down world. One day in the future, Jesus is going to return and he's going to turn the world right side up again. Nevertheless, Jesus says in the sermon that it is possible to learn to live right side up right now in this upside down world by becoming his disciple. And of course, the first step toward becoming his disciple is coming through the cross of Christ. Because there at the cross, Jesus displayed the spirit of God's law. There, his deep love for humanity was revealed in the ultimate act of selfless and sacrificial love, giving up his life as an atonement for our sins. That's the spirit of God's law. Love God and love people sacrificially and selflessly. And so Jesus willingly died there, gave up his, own, his only life, uh, his own life for us there, out of love for us. And so because any disciple has to come first through the cross, we're forced there to take a good hard look inside of ourselves. And we see the sin and the contempt that exists there. And we come to see there that I'm no better than anyone else, regardless of race or socioeconomic status or more to the point this morning, gender. And so there is no legitimacy for misogyny for contempt toward women. And so disciples of Jesus aren't looking for technicalities in the letter of the law to dump their spouses. They're looking to find how to fulfill the spirit of God's law by loving other people. In this case, their spouses in the same sacrificial and selfless way Christ first loved us. And as we learn to do that, we give the upside-down world around us. We give the upside-down world a foretaste of what that world that Jesus is going to bring someday in the future when he turns it all right side up. We get to be an advertisement for that world. We get to give them a foretaste of that world that is still to come. Now, please, come back next week. Because I'm not done. There's more that needs to be said here. What I want to make sure of is that no one walks out of this room feeling guilt, guilty or shamed for being the victim of a divorce that you never wanted. Don't walk out of here that way. I'll explain that more next week. But don't walk out of here today feeling that. Because that's not what Jesus is saying here. Would you bow your heads with me? And um, as people presumably, by your presence here, um, want to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, would you just take a good hard look at your own heart? And look, it's true that women can be contemptuous too. We'll talk about that next week. But I think this morning, really, men, I'm speaking to you again. Can you just take a good, hard, honest look at your own heart? And would you just own where there's contempt? And would you ask the Lord, would you just ask him 
to say, I own that. Would you change my heart? Would you teach me how to love my spouse, to love women rather than to treat them with contempt? And if you're here today and you've never come through the cross of Christ, just know this, that right now in the privacy of your seat, without ever having to walk an aisle, you can just you can tell the Lord Jesus Christ, I, I need you. I, I have sin in my life. I have contempt in my heart too, and I need you. Be my Savior. And the Bible says that the Lord Jesus forgives you, and that at that moment that he gives you a whole new heart, that as you grow in it, it begins to give you a new perspective on the world and a new love for people. And so you can do that right now in the privacy of your seat. And Lord Jesus Christ, I just ask that as a church that we would become the kind of place that is really genuinely a a foretaste of the glory that is to come in the future. When you bring when you turn this world right side up, let us, let our lives and our marriages, the way we treat one another be so beautiful that people would want that and that they would see how great it is, how much people flourish when they live under the rule and the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray these things and ask these things now in your name, Lord Jesus, King. Well, so if you're new, um, Dustin talked earlier in the service about those Connect cards that are in the row, uh, the, pul- the pew in front of you. And if you would just fill that out, drop it in the offering bucket because the ushers now are going to take an offering. And then Nathaniel, the band, are going to close this out. And Dustin is going to come up and, and he will dismiss us.
So my soul 